0: a day 365 days a year this is the pack a day podcast Hello everybody, and welcome into episode 600 of the Packaday Podcast. You heard that right; it is episode number 600. Nice round, even number. I am your host, Andy Herman. I am a writer and editor for Packer Report. You can always follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. And joining me for this special number 600 episode is the a writer for SB Nation, Pro Football Weekly. You can find him on UpRocks. He is the host of the Locked On Packers podcast. He is of course the one and only Peter Bukowski. He is also a colleague of mine at, at Packer Reports. Peter, thank you so incredibly much for joining me for this episode, and welcome back to the Packer Day Podcast.
1: It's great to be here. I'm I'm pretty excited. I know that there's uh, a lot of people that are, you know, worried about what's going on in the world, and so I, I think it's important for us to still have these meetings and have these conversations, and and you know, give people something else to think about and talk about
0: yeah and I'm happy you brought that up because I actually wanted to start with that so obviously I'm gonna go ahead and assume that anyone that's uh, tuning in today to a three hundred and sixty five day a year Packers related <laughs> podcast is probably here to get away from the minutiae of all the details that are going on in the world um, which is obviously not great at the moment but yeah uh, you know and and if we're gonna talk about uh, you know CBA breakdowns and the difference of dollars and cents between millionaires and billionaires well, <laughs> All of this is going on. It can it can have a level of tone deafness, right? So yeah. we are going to play this out today as uh, as if the people that are listening, of course, are looking for that escape and not looking for you know uh, the the type of breakdowns that we're hearing all across the news. So uh, we of course are are very uh, you know cognizant of what's going on. We don't want to you know minimalize that, but we're going to go ahead today like this is a normal 365 day a year Packers podcast. We're going to talk football. We're going to talk Packers because I think there is a lot of value in that especially in these sort of times
1: yeah absolutely and and i think people hopefully people anyway understand that i I think people are also you know hungry for sports sports may not be here for a long time i mean it, it could be two months before we have sports of any kind in the u.s and so that makes these conversations in some ways even more important because we get to have them there's there's real stuff happening andy
0: yeah, I think that's true, and I think that's right, and I am excited to dig into some of that football today and talk about some free agency, some CBA, all that sort sort of stuff. But uh, with kind of the the backdrop that we just kind of set, there was a lot of different news today. We'll get to the CBA in just a moment, which I think is uh, number one A. But a couple other things that kind of leaked out that I kind of want to get to first. First of all, the league going to open on time. Free agency is going to kick off this week. I just want to pick your brain on that a little bit. Is that something that you are surprised about? Is this a, a Good thing for the NFL what are your thoughts on the league opening
1: this week you know is it good is it bad I don't I don't know about the value judgment of that part of it but the the thought process to me as reported by by Adam Schefter makes some sense they looked at it and they thought look if we don't do it now it may be untenable though the situation may get worse rather than better and so if we have to wait until June, July to open the new league year and then go through free agency and then go through a draft, then we're talking about pushing the NFL season back. And I don't think anyone wants to be in a position where that's the case. Most of business can be conducted over the phone, can be conducted digitally, can be conducted via video chat. All of the technology at our disposal allows us to do all of those things. And so from that standpoint, I think they made – the prudent decision, I spoke to an agent last week who said, look, my guys were never going to take visits anyway. We don't. We're, that was just not going to happen. You know, he he represents, um, you know, some players, at least one in particular, who could be on Green Bay's radar. And he expects a deal to be done day one. All that stuff can be done over the phone. You can figure out the the physical stuff later. And there are always exceptions to what goes on here. Right. I mean, Bashad Breland was only a Packer because he failed his physical. There's still a lot that you have to figure out from that standpoint, but these are all, I mean, I think they're workable problems, aren't they?
0: Yeah, I think you're 100% correct. And I think, you know, let's not fool ourselves. A lot of these deals get done in that legal tampering period. People are not coming in to fly out for physicals. That's why at 12.01 a.m. sometimes, you know, Schefter and Rappaport are breaking the news of who signed those massive deals. And, and physicals have not been done at that point. They have not necessarily always met with the team at that point. So we are in a digital age. And I think a lot of people are now, uh, you know, working from home for more often. And I think we're starting to see that a lot of this stuff can get done without the in person handshake, the actual signing of the document. Maybe we can bring back the Denver Broncos fax machine that didn't work in time for the trade <laughs> deadline to get some of these deals done. That's a real good callback. But uh, no, I think this is I think this is the right move. I think this is the right thing to do. And if nothing else, uh, you know, just from a, uh, you know, a fan standpoint, it, it gives us a little bit of a distraction going forward this week.
1: Yeah. And and the draft, I, I will say I'm disappointed that the NFL has not been more out front saying, we can't have this. It just it, it, we've known now for what two weeks, at least, that it would be completely ridiculous for the draft to take place in Las Vegas with 700,000 people, which is what the NFL had projected what was going to be the attendance there. And now we're we're getting in drips and drabs that you know that look, this is probably not going to happen. But the NFL has not come out and taken a strong stance on it, which to me says they're they they were hopeful at least for a long time that they could still do this, which to anyone paying attention understood was really a reckless decision it's disappointing from the NFL so I guess that in some ways makes the idea that they're going to move forward with what's going on over the next week and the new start of the league year more understandable because they they want to they want to retain as much normalcy as they can here
0: Yeah, I will say a couple things from an NFL standpoint. I'm not sure they necessarily had a ton to gain by necessarily getting out in front of it, I guess, other than the people who were maybe planning to go and things like that. uh, You know, I think they have the opportunity to still cancel at any time. It's obviously going to get canceled. They're not going to hold it in Vegas and and at that time. And I also think it, you know, maybe it bought them a little time to try to figure out what exactly they were going to do. Maybe they were worried about the optics if they canceled it, but didn't exactly have a contingency plan of how it was going to go. But uh, you, I'm with you in the fact that you would hope uh sooner rather than later we get that official announcement that hey it's not going to be in vegas this obviously isn't happening uh mgm and uh, the casinos in the area have uh just recently uh, noted that they're going to be yep. shutting down and, and things like that so this is obviously not happening you i'm with you they might as well get in front of it and, and make that official announcement sooner rather than later
1: yeah I, I don't i don't know what the nfl is waiting for but i, I mean i think we all understand that cooler heads are going to prevail on this it just when you have Raiders ownership having to come out and saying, look, we're going to make the, the best decision that we can or the NFL is going to make the best decision that it can. And that is the most you know, pronounced statement that the league has made. I have a hard time with that. I mean, it, yeah. no one is expecting Roger Goodell to come out and do the perfect PR thing, but it would have been such an easy thing to come out and say, look, we're still going to have a draft. I mean, ESPN, Andy, is I don't know if you saw this canceling studio shows this week i mean they're not having people commute to work and they're going to send a hundred you know not a hundred hundreds of people to vegas to, to produce this extravagant event i i don't see it happening and yet the nfl has just not shown any kind of of leadership on this and and is it surprising no is it disappointing yeah it is it still sucks that the nfl is like this yeah,
0: I think that's fair. And I think it's, uh, you know, I hope, hopefully, as I mentioned, that, you know, something's coming sooner rather than later that they make that announcement. And, uh, you know, th- this is another thing that can be done remotely. Uh, like I said on Twitter a few days ago, you know, lock uh, Rich Eisen and Daniel Jeremiah in a room together and make sure that they're quarantined <laughs> and safe and healthy. And, you know, have teams, yeah. you know, let them know the picks. And, and, you know, whatever the case may be, this is not something that needs uh, a full fledged. Uh, fans will get behind it and watch it uh, just for the, the picks themselves, even if it's something that's done online, whatever you need to do, uh, it can be postponed. It is not the utmost of importance right now. And uh, I think they need to get out in front of it and, and make that final decision so that people know that it's not going to be happening because there's no benefit at the moment to just sitting on it and doing nothing. I'm, I'm with you there. Uh, so we went kind of over the the league starting on time. The draft probably is going to get delayed or certainly changed in some capacity. But the biggest news today is obviously that the players uh, somewhat barely passed this <laughs> and yeah. uh, there is a new CBA. We have labor peace uh, for the next decade plus, which I think is generally always a good thing. Uh, but I want to get your tweet length version of your thoughts mm. on the CBA of, of just kind of your overarching feel, uh, what your gut feeling was when you heard that it passed today.
1: Not surprised that, that it passed, but I will say I think Aaron Rodgers eloquently made the point that. The, the players gave up a lot in terms of the revenue share to get very little. I mean, very little, and and that is disappointing. Um, but you know, the, I, I am happy as as you said that we are going to have football. That we're going to have an off and and everything is is going to be on you know on track to to give us football in 2020, such that we can have football. I mean, who knows where we're going to be in a couple months, right? Uh, but I'm glad that we're not going to go through some some bitter, you know, knock them down, drag them out kind of fight here. I just feel like the players gave up more than they needed to to get the concessions from the owners that they did. And and Casey Hayward had a had a funny tweet and he wasn't meant to be funny, but he was his tweet was basically that, you know, the owners are thinking that that players are giving up all this stuff just to smoke dope. And it does sort of seem that way, doesn't it? I mean, one of the few big concessions that they got was this lack of punishment for marijuana. And that's that's really the only big win that they got, other than some some fewer practice concessions from the league, which, as Aaron Rodgers pointed out, the owners don't care about. So what did the what did the players get back? I don't a little bit more money for minimum salary guys. But then you're getting 17 games. So what, how much more are they really getting?
0: Yeah. I thought if, if you, you know, rewind uh, maybe about a year ago, even maybe even six months, maybe even three months ago to to thinking about a 17 game season and how anti, you know, and against that the players were, it, it had seemed at a point, like if, if the players were going to give in to a 17 game season, that the NFL was going to have to make a major concession in some way, shape or form, whether that be a 50, 50 revenue split, whether that be something more for retired players, whether that be, you know, really scaling back practices and exhibition games maybe eliminating two exhibition games instead of one maybe an additional bye week. whatever that was I don't know but it seemed like there was going to have to be some sort of major concession to get that 17th game and then not only did they get the 17th game they get the two additional playoff teams which is more revenue for postseason games because there's more uh, tv to show and they didn't necessarily like you said give up any major concession they did get a, a tiny amount of more revenue but to me anything less than a 50-50 split is still a win for the owner. So that was my biggest takeaway as well is that the players did not get any major concession. And I'm shocked that this was so easily agreed upon really at the first stab at negotiating the first vote. Everything went through with the player representatives. Everything went through with the players. And again, I I think there's a level of this that's great for the fans because I don't think fans really love digging into the minutia of CBA negotiations. And I don't think they love having that cloud over their head of is there going to be a strike year or labor unrest or things like that? So I think it's a, a good thing for that. But I, I'm very, very surprised that the NFL didn't have to give up more for, for that 17th game.
1: Yeah, I mean, wh- what do you attribute that to, Andy? Because I'm, I'm fascinated to, to see, you know, because these are not stupid people. I mean, for whatever you want to say about union leadership, these are not stupid people so i just i'm i'm struggling to to be in their shoes and and look from their eyes at the situation and say well this is what we felt like we had to give up to get what we felt was important and i just I, i'm really struggling to figure it out i mean if we're going to play devil's advocate on that i mean and to me it's not devil's advocate it's how i would feel but i i don't understand That position, what what are you giving up these percentages of revenue for unless the NFL is just saying like, you know, and it does seem like this is the case that the NFL sort of said, we can do 17 games without you. We can do that unilaterally. And if we do, it means extra money for you. And I think that was the case. If I'm if I'm being as honest as I can, is it was, well, if we go to 17 games and the expanded playoffs, it's more money. And that's more money for everyone. And so even if you're getting less of the pie, it's still more money. But if you're the players, you're saying, well, if I have to play more games, I want closer to 50-50 split. I'm not giving you 47% for me and 53% for you if I'm doing more of the work. That doesn't make any sense. I mean, can you build a case? What is the case? I I, I don't see it. No,
0: and I'll say this: I am I'm not surprised, like you said, that the that this uh, portion of the the vote passed. Because, uh, and I'll get to that in a moment. What I'm really surprised by is that with the the team representatives, when it when it was kind of up to the team representative vote, I'm surprised it passed at that standpoint. Because those are a lot mm-hmm. more of the established players; those are the ones that are really involved in the CBA talks and in the, the negotiations. I'm surprised it passed that portion. And I thought the owners did a good job again, playing devil's advocate here. I think they did a pretty good job of pandering to the majority of players by saying, hey, we're going to add roster spots. We're going to add more practice squad spots. Those practice squad spots are going to be able to be moved up into active roster positions. We are going to raise the minimum salary. If you are a fringe roster guy, if you are a guy that's going to spend maybe two, three, four years in the league, there is a lot of benefits, in my opinion, to this deal for those sort of players. And the majority of players are those sort of players. So it didn't surprise me me that when it got to this majority of players having to vote for this, that there was enough of a dangling carrot there for them to jump at it. I am very surprised that with what you know th- at the negotiating table and when the initial 32 uh, player representatives had to vote, I'm surprised it passed that because those are more again the established players that are probably going to be maybe lo- around for a little bit longer. Your Aaron Rodgers, you know those type of players, and and they did not get, in my opinion, the upper echelon, the mid tier players did not get the, out of this deal what I would have expected. That they would have wanted out of this deal.
1: You know what's really interesting too, and I was thinking about this today as I was as I was trying to figure out just why we were in this position. A lot of the owners that are a part of these negotiations have gone through this before. Some of them multiple times. Almost none of the players who have negotiated and and been a part of this are still playing. When the next CBA goes into effect, these are 10 year deals. And so 10 years ago, I mean, Aaron Rodgers was in the league, but there are a lot of players that were in those meetings that weren't Richard Sherman was not in the league then. So, I mean, it it is it is interesting. And then the the players who are negotiating this CBA are not going to be in 10 years. A lot of them likely to be NFL players when the next CBA is up. So they don't have the knowledge of the last negotiations to take into this one. And yes, you know, you have an NFL Players Association president to do stuff like that. That's what DeMorey Smith exists to be. But the players aren't taking that same sort of institutional knowledge into these negotiations. The owners are. And a lot of these owners come from organizations or businesses or the corporate world where they've had to do negotiations like this. Also, where they have had to do it with their own workforce and players in the NFL are not coming with that same sort of position. So I suppose from that standpoint, it's a little bit more understandable that the owners are, are playing from such a position of power. But that's where you have to lean on your union representatives and your union leadership to say we've been through this before. We've negotiated these before. And DeMaurice Smith has been on teams of NFLPA leadership that have negotiated better deals than this. So it's just sort of like, how did we get here? And frankly, i don't have I don't have a good answer for that. It, it just is all it's all strange to me. There are some things though, that I think are important here that that we haven't gotten to. and the the seventeen game uh, season, which doesn't go into effect right away, but the expanded playoff format, I know we we can talk about the the negotiations of the of the revenue part of this. But how do you feel about some of those material changes to the schedule? Do you like the 17th game and or do you like the playoff format part of this?
0: yeah let's I want to get to that in just a second. I just want to respond to one thing you said sure. and that's what the, the you know the owners versus the players I think it's also a ton easier for 32 owners to get on the same page especially like you said when they've been doing this th- before than thousands of players even though they're you know represented by a, a you know a players association and uh, player representatives I just think it's a lot harder to organize and get everyone on the same page and figure out exactly what they want to fight for whereas the owners are you know completely on the same page fighting for the same things and I just think they're much more organized and tactical about what they're fighting for and i think ultimately at the end of the day that does play a huge part in it as well but uh, i think you're right i think it's time to to kind of go into a little bit more of the detail of kind of maybe more of the fun stuff to talk about as a fan uh, whether you're for it or against it i still think it probably makes for a little bit more fun conversation and that is like you said that the two big things are the 17 game schedule which at the earliest will happen is 2021 which i would be shocked if it does not happen by 2021 because uh,
1: yeah. Yeah, it's happening yeah, in 2021.
0: Exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, there's no way that doesn't happen. I, I, I do not foresee a situation or circumstance. And then the 14-team playoff, which is immediate. So uh, you would ask kind of my initial you know, thoughts on both of those things. Uh, from a 14-team playoff standpoint, I do not like it at all. And the, the biggest reason I, I don't like it is you are talking about a 17-game schedule, which now gives you more time to differentiate the best teams from the worst teams. To me, the more regular seasons the less regular or the less playoff team so uh, baseball of course you know 162 game season I think they had it right a little while back before they had the the extra wild card teams if you have a 162 game season uh, you know you should not need a 16 game playoff at that point you've already determined who your best eight to ten teams are and and that to me is where it should be so uh, I know we're not exactly talking apples to apples with you know, adding the 17th game to going to 162 games. But I think if you add to the regular season, the less need there is for those extra playoff teams to decide which best. And now I obviously realized that this decision was not made to figure out who necessarily the best team was. This was very much a financial decision, more TV revenue uh, and more games for the fans, more stadium revenue, all those sorts of things, more revenue for the cities that those teams are in. Uh, but uh, I do think that from a pure product on the field standpoint, it, it made sense to have Less playoff teams, and I think it made sense. I think it was right where it was at. So now uh, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll get to the 17 game season in a moment, but I want you to be able to respond to that one first.
1: Well, I think they're they're linked, right? I mean, to your point, I mean, I think the point that you that you made about needing the extra game if you're going to expand the playoffs is really well taken. You don't need the 17th game if you're going to expand the playoff format. I will say I like the new playoff format. And I like it for this reason. I think the the bye week is um, unduly useful for the teams who get it. And to have two teams who get it is really just a function of how math works in order to get a bracket that makes sense. You have to do sure. it that way if you're gonna have six teams, right? I don't I don't know that it that it is necessary to have a, a, a two seed get a bye week. So from that standpoint, I like it. Now, if you're a two seed, of course, if you're the Packers last year, you'd much rather not be playing on on opening day weekend, right, of the playoffs. But from from the the standpoint of games and excitement, I, I think it makes the regular season more valuable. To be the best team in the regular season is is more valuable in that way, and I think that that part is being rewarded. Sure, I, I think that's great. Um, but I'm with you there's no I don't need 17 games to get there. 16 was fine um if that's the status quo, that's fine. I like the new playoff format though, and I think it's gonna make wild card weekend even more exciting because we don't really care. I mean well you you tell me if you care. Do you care if the Super Bowl winner was really the best team?
0: Ah, uh, that's a phenomenal question I think I'm, I'm trying to figure out how I want to answer this. I know exactly what you mean. And ultimately at the end of the day, the journey is greater than the end. Um, so meaning that getting there and the experience of the regular season in the playoffs and uh, whoever wins it, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, uh, do I care whether or not, uh, you know, the giant, we'll go back to giants, Patriots, right. Uh, when the Patriots were undefeated to me, unequivocally, the Patriots were the best team of that season, but we of course celebrate the giants as the champions and they were the champions right. of that season. So uh, no, I'll, ultimately, at the end of the day, I don't necessarily care that much. I do think that the real Super Bowl is
1: the friends we made along the way, Andy. Yeah, yeah, there you go.
0: (laughs) I do think that there is a case to be made. You know, it always goes back to to March Madness, where you're you're probably not necessarily crowning the the best team, because it's this crazy single elimination tournament, or you're just trying to more survive than necessarily, again, crowning the best champion throughout the course of the year. Um, and, And I think, At the same token, I think the Premier League does a a tremendous job. I think they're obviously crowning the best team. Everyone had the exact opportunity to play the exact same amount, the the exact teams throughout the season—one home game, one away game. I think that's the best way uh, to do it, but it's also the most boring. And not having a playoff completely sucks. So I would rather be more entertained along the way uh, than necessarily get it right. But I do think there's value, in also at least having some competitive stake in it of, of. trying to figure out who the best team is. I'm I'm politicking it there a little bit.
1: Yeah. And and I think that's fair. Uh, But this is, this is something that we, that we care more about. I think in other sports, like in the NBA, because you play a best of seven, the better team almost always wins. Like the NBA, the the best team usually wins the title. And I, I think we can say almost always wins the title that's not true in the NFL, and so we're not really we're not really choosing the best team. We're choosing the Super Bowl champion because we have this wacky, wonky single el- elimination tournament that we all love. I mean, the yeah. Packers in 2010. I, I hate to I hate to spoil this for our audience. They were not the best team in 2010. They weren't. Not for and, the and, entirety, no. And they weren't all season. They were for four weeks in January, and they won the Super Bowl. Are any Packer fans giving that Super Bowl title back? <laughs> I don't think so. No,
0: no, not at all. Uh, because you can make a strong argument too; they were the best team through the entirety of the '97 season, yep. and we don't get—we certainly don't get to celebrate that as a, a you know championship season either. So,
1: and they might have um, been the best team in 2014.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You, you are hundred percent right on that. So, uh, you know, you're right. I, I think there is a uh, value in that. And I do think it's, it's more fun and I, I will give you credit too. I think, uh, I think you bring up a really great point in the effect that, you know, what, maybe the, the team, you get one more team that goes in that maybe wasn't as deserving, but it certainly gives the team who won the regular season a lot more incentive and it gives them much more of a bonus than it did in the past. So I do think it, it makes some sense there. Um, I will, I, I would love to have seen this with a caveat that they need to seed them appropriate appropriately, um, because I don't think anyone needs to see a, an eight and eight division winner hosting a, you know, a playoff team that's, yep. you know, 12 and four, whatever the case may be. So I would have loved to see that fixed, but I I think it's going to be fun. I ultimately don't think that this is going to be something that, you know, necessarily gets fans super excited or super down with the decision either way. I think by the, by the end of next year, everyone will have have adapted to it and and gone along with it and will be excited about it and it'll be good. So at at the risk of,
1: at the risk of sending us off on a tangent, do we, do we need divisions?
0: Yeah, no, I'm with you, and that, that, you're right. This, that's probably a whole podcast. We could do a whole
1: day. podcast on it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, but I, I'm, I'm 100% with you. I would love, and I know people love like the the rivalries of divisions of like, well, if if you know, there's a certain. Um, there's a certain group of people that would be like, well, if the bears aren't playing in green Bay, then like, I'm totally out of any discussion. And for me, like I don't necessarily care which teams are coming to green Bay. It's awesome football. And I don't necessarily care uh, about a, a, you know, a Packers, you know, bears having a home game in green Bay. But I I will say, I I do think there's a better system to be had. If you were just to say uh, every team plays every team in your conference and you play, you know, maybe what there would be two teams out of con, you know, out of conference. And maybe you had two rivalry teams or you you could even say you're going to play every team in conference once, and then you have two rivalry games, and maybe that's your two division games. So maybe for the Packers, that's Vikings and Bears, so that you do have a home and away between those two rivalry games every year. Whatever the case may be, I'm with you. I think division football is better. Uh, conference football is better, and I think you would come up with the the best uh, seven teams from your conference in, in a much better way that way.
1: It's the same with baseball. That I don't uh, interleague play. Does anyone get really excited with interleague play except like the the Subway Series or like some of the it's, I don't I don't care like if if the Packers are playing the AFC South. Is anyone really stoked to see Packers Titans or Packers Jaguars like? Oh, sort of like who cares? I don't, I don't know. I, that, it's, a, it's a separate situation. I know. I'm I'm sorry for for getting us off on this tangent, but it is related to this question, right? That like yeah. if we're if we're going to find the best teams, does it matter if you played, you know, in, in a division where everyone was bad? I mean, really, last year, there was no reason an NFC East team needed to make the playoffs. There was just no, no reason they were not one of the best teams just get the get whatever i mean if we're going to do this it's going to be this the what seven best teams then then get the seven best teams and don't worry about where they were playing because that was a that was a relic of the past we had divisions because we needed it for travel purposes we don't need that anymore so let's just get rid of it
0: no, I'm 100 percent with you. And uh, I do think there's a better system to be had. And again, if you're going to have 14 teams make the playoffs, um, even whether we go division or ever, I just think you have to figure out a way to get the best 14 in, because otherwise you're going to end up with some very bad football teams potentially in the playoffs, which I don't think improves the yeah. product either. But let, let's let's switch over to that other one, which we touch base on a little bit. But that 17 game schedule again, 2021 20, at the earliest is when that can go into effect. Um, I'll start off. I, I've. I'm mostly indifferent to this and I, I'm I, I'm surprisingly one of the rare ones. I posted on Twi- at least my Twitter, which is a football Packers related Twitter, uh, of course. And that is uh, I posted, you know, are you in favor of a 17 game season? And it was like 75 percent said no, which was surprising to me because, again, it's football fans. But uh, I am more in the favor of going 17 games because just simply I love more football. And if we're straight up trading a, a preseason game away for a regular season game, I'm on board. And if you kind of look at it so I know some of those guys, uh, like an Aaron Rodgers maybe isn't playing in that that preseason game anyway, but a lot of those guys, at least some of them, half of them maybe are, and maybe they're playing, you know, 30, you know, maybe 30 snaps in that game. Well, you know, and, and maybe if you look at that last regular season game, like the most that a player is usually playing is about 60 to 65 snaps on average in a game. Like if we're talking about adding maybe 60 to 65 snaps, uh, but maybe taking away on average 15 to 20 snaps away from a preseason game like you're adding or, you know, 40 snaps per game to some players. Like at the end of the day, somebody's snaps can fluctuate uh, about 40 snaps in a million different ways. So I'm not super concerned about the additional wear and tear in this transaction. Now, I do think that there is value in the fact that if you're going 17 game regular season and then you're playing, you know, three playoff games in a Super Bowl, like by the end of that, there's a lot of attrition along the way already, even with a 16 game season. So I get it. I would have loved to have seen an additional bye week added to this so that the players could rest their bodies a little bit more. But as a straight up fan, I'm not super upset about getting an extra week of regular season football in exchange for a week of exhibition football. But I know there's a lot of other takes on it, too, and I'll let you maybe get to some of those.
1: Well, I mean, I hate to to keep harping on this, but why wasn't the 17, I guess it's 18 week season with the extra bye week? The starting point, this this could have been easy. You add the bye week. Every team gets two bye weeks. Yep. You and you still get the extra week of football because that's what this was about for the owners. They wanted an extra week of regular season revenue. They wanted an extra week or at least an extra game of playoff revenue. So, okay, let's do that. But let's make it an extra bye week so that everyone gets that extra bye week. You get two bye weeks. I I, I never, and I would love to get your thoughts on this. The idea of oh, um, we're gonna we're gonna have 16 or 17 games, but you only get to play 16 or whatever. There was that that, that weird proposal that was like, well, we're gonna add the oh, game, yeah. but you can't play all of them. And it's like, well, the, what does that get? What that doesn't yeah. that part of it never made any sense to me. Okay, so. We're going to add more games that that plays Matt Moore instead of Pat Mahomes and Tim – I mean you probably would like Tim Boyle instead of (laughs) Aaron Rodgers. That's an unfair – this is a bad audience for that conversation. But I mean – No, you're right though. That part never made sense to me. But just getting 18 weeks, it's the extra week. That's what the owners wanted. So why was that not the starting point? And and I don't know the answer to that. I don't know that we'll ever know the answer to that. I hope we get some reporter – that is able to get you know NFLPA people to explain why that didn't happen i don't i'm not optimistic that that will happen but that that should have been the starting point right
0: yeah, I think so, too. And one of the things that I would have really loved to have seen, and you absolutely could have made this work, I'm, I'm assuming you could make it work. I haven't you know, actually done the math with it. But assuming every team has two bye weeks, I'm very certain that you could actually put a schedule together so that any team that plays a Thursday night game has a bye week before that Thursday night game. So you could have legitimately solved a couple problems here where you have the bye week and then you have a Thursday night game. Or at least you know, maybe you have a team that plays back-to-back Thursday games, too so that you know they they're not playing on 4 days rest. So I think you could have added that additional rest. I think you could have given it so that uh, you know teams aren't playing a Thursday night game coming off of short rest, which is really difficult on the players' bodies for you know any player will tell you that that's the toughest turnaround is is going from that Sunday game to that Thursday game. So I think they could have fixed some things there while also still keeping Thursday football and making it maybe more entertaining. So I think there were a lot of things that they could have done to make this better and I think It would have started with if you're going to add that 17th game, give them an additional bye week to get them a little bit more rest, Um, make it so that it's like a full off week, if at all possible, so that they really have some time to get away and recharge the batteries. Because as I've talked to people uh, in the past here, too, this is not just a physical recharging the batteries, but there is so much mental that goes into this uh, that I just think that, um, you, you know, giving them some time to relax and giving them that second bye week would have really gone a long way.
1: Yeah. And and we've heard players talk about this all the time, right? I mean, the, the idea of having time to recover from an NFL game, it's so critical. And and those guys, you know, cheer getting that extra day off when you have victory Monday or when, you you know, you don't get back in the facility until Wednesday or whatever it is, because your body needs that time to recover. And if you're coming back in the in the building on Wednesday and you got a game Thursday, that's just untenable. Yeah. And it's just it it is it is unthinkable to me that the NFL, uh, and, and its players cared so little about the the safety of its players that this was not a, a priority for them and and it, it's it's frankly disappointing to see. Um, uh, there were plenty of of ways that they could have gone about this, but. Uh, It's done. And this is what's happening. And I I guess from my standpoint, it's sort of like, okay, now how do we how do we make this work? How does this how does this uh, affect how we put together a roster? Does this mean that that you have to carry more offensive linemen? I mean, and I think this dovetails with with some of the stuff that we want to get to, um, you know, to to wrap all of this conversation up. And that is what's going on with Green Bay, because, you know, they they have to put together a roster now with these new um, strictures in place and, and we thought there might be more money available for them. We thought that a lot of things could be different. And yet here we are in this situation where, um, it looks like they're going to have less spendable money because of the, the minimum roster contracts and all that stuff. than than we thought going into free agency.
0: Yeah. So let's jump into that. So a couple, uh, you know, roster notes here that I think are important to just kind of go over before we kind of get into the, the Packers situation. So uh, there's going to be a 48 day or 48 player, excuse me, game day roster, which is going to be up by two from 46 previously. Um, and, but one of those players will need to be designated an emergency offensive lineman, similar, or at least an offensive lineman, somewhat similar to uh, the emergency quarterback days of the past. So uh, that's one kind of change here. The practice squad will go from 10 players to 12 players in 2020 and then from 12 to 14 players in 2022 Um, so increased practice squad sizes and then there's the opportunity each week to have a 55-man active roster with two players that are kind of call-ups from the practice squad. And you can send those players back down to the practice squad up to two times without having to subject them to waivers. So a couple interesting notes there. You also mentioned, of course, uh, or we both talked about it, uh, the increased minimum salary. Um, So I don't think that a lot of people, and I don't want to get too far into the minutia here, but I don't think a lot of people necessarily realize that when you talk about A 53-man roster, and that when teams are working out their salary cap, that you can't just take those 53 players and use your entire salary cap on those 53 players. So first of all, the practice squad, which is also going up in minimum salary, you have to use your salary cap to fill that entire practice squad. So now instead of 10 players on your practice squad, you have two additional, plus all of them just went up in price. Um, One of the things that salary cap uh, experts love love or you know the and teams love is those minimum salary players. It's why when we talk about roster cuts every year, you usually want to keep an eye on which team, you know, which players have maybe 3 year minimum contract type of deals because those are gold because if you can get a player at 450, 540,000 for the first couple of years of their career, those are the ways that you can really build a team so that you can go out and spend major money on Zadarius Smith or Preston Smith or whoever you want to spend money on. So, uh, those type of contracts just just went up in price as well. And then again, I think what people don't necessarily realize is that When you have a player that goes on IR during the course of the year, that player stays on your salary cap. And then when you go add a new player, that is now a 54th player. And then when you put another player on that's a 55th player and 56th and 57th, and by the end of the year, you're at about that costs money. (laughs) Yeah, it does. And that's about (laughs) 70 to 75 players that you might end up, not including practice squad. Now we're adding a, you know, we have a 14 player practice squad. You might be close to almost 90 players that you've paid through the course of the year from your salary. Cap money. So this is not just taking the 198 million, uh, 198.2 million that was announced today, dividing it amongst 53 players and being like, "All right, I can wash my hands. I've got my money spent." It does not work like that at all. And and that brings us to the next point of, you know, our friend of the podcast, Ken Ingalls, who does a great job breaking it down. You know, without a, a potential Lane Taylor move, he has Green Bay at about nine million to spend right now. And there's some potential salary cap structures that certainly can and will take. Place over the course of the next week, you would assume maybe a Darius Smith, a Devonte Adams, a David Bakhtiari, a Corey Lindsley. There's there's certainly some rooms there you room for moves. You would think that Lane Taylor is is probably keeping an eye out for a phone call. I'm hoping for the best for him, and I think he'll land on his feet no matter what happens. But there's some moves that can be made there, but they they may not have quite as much money as maybe we were expecting.
1: No, they they might not. But it is interesting though. I mean, I was looking at this the other day. Zedaria Smith's base salary in 2019 was a million dollars and it's only 2 million in 2020. There are ways to make this all work. And yes, you can, you can cut Lane Taylor and that gives you some flexibility. You can rework Corey Linsley's contract. Um, you can rework Kenny Clark. If you extend him, maybe you can, you can lower his cap hit in, in 2020. There are a lot of different ways to make this work. Maybe you take a Zedaria Smith, and you turn some of the the money that he has left and you make it bonus so that you can spread it out over the course of the contract. The bears did this with Khalil Mack. There's always ways to make it work. This is something Andrew Brandt, who is a former Packers front office person uh, mentioned the other day that it it's, you can, you, if, if you're saying, Oh, well, we don't have the money. The answer is really, we don't like the options that would create the money right. better than what the money would give us. And that's the Packers perspective here. So if they, if they can't get a deal that makes sense with an Austin Hooper or a Corey Littleton or a Joe Schobert or a Nick Kwiatkowski, then they have to figure out, you know, if they can't get the money to work the way that they need it to, then they have to figure out, okay, what is the what is the balance here? What is the other end of the seesaw that allows us to get the money that we need to make this deal work? Having less money, having fewer dollars, makes that even more important to have someone like Russ Ball who has handled these things with such alacrity in the past. I mean, I don't think most fans, and I would think that fans who are going to listen to a (laughs) a 365-day-a-year podcast understand this, but I don't think most fans understand how well the Packers cap has been managed under Russ Ball over the last decade plus because it's been a, a, a minor miracle.
0: Yeah, and he I think he does a great job of always providing himself out. Like he he never yeah. backs himself into a corner. Yeah. He's never in a situation where they have to release a prime player because they don't they simply don't have the money to get that done. That has happened in other in other cities and where they just simply can't afford one of their key cornerstones of the franchise because they don't have any money left. And he, like, like I said, he's never backed himself or the Packers into a corner Look at the like the Vikings. That. Yeah. It's a great example. And, and, you know, having to pay a massive contract to maybe a uh, middle tier type quarterback in Kirk. like they've just done a really great job of managing the cap and again, making a a ton of options always available, which is what they were able to do last year and go out and signs Darius and and Preston. And and of course, everyone knows all the names at this point. So uh, it will be interesting to see uh, just how much flexibility they give themselves to go out and spend money. Like you said, you can always create ways. There's always ways you can kick the can down the line. A little bit, and I do have the expectation that not only the Packers, but a lot of teams are going to be more willing to do that because they know just how much that revenue is going to go up in upcoming yep. years and how much uh, you know that that salary cap increase is going to be. So I think some people were expecting that increase to go up a little bit more this year above the 200 million mark uh, than it did. Again, 198.2 million. So I think you're going to see some backloaded contracts, whether in free agency or whether with restructured deals, because they know. that that salary cap relief is coming down the line with increased salary caps.
1: What's wild is that is a complete 180 from the way the Packers used to structure contracts. Yeah. They always front loaded contracts so that the money was, was hitting, you know, now it's going to happen now, you know, that you look at the Brian Gulaga contract, the Randall Cobb contract. Now that those guys ended up playing on those deals, but the Packers had more flexibility as those deals went on to say, Hmm, we're out. Now go back to last year, Darius Smith, Preston Smith. I mean, as I mentioned, Zadario Smith in the first two years of his contract, his base salary three million total. But because he got, you know, twenty million guaranteed due at signing, you can spread that out over four years. His base salary in twenty twenty-one is nine and a half million, and his base salary in twenty twenty-two is fourteen and a half million. Now we don't have to quibble over whether or not he's worth the money. After a year, you could walk away from this contract and feel like he was worth the money. I mean, he, right. what what he did last year was nothing short of incredible, and the fact that he wasn't recognized more with those awards that he was snubbed and said so for um it, it, we we can't, you know, dismiss that part of it. But the Packers I think if they wanted to could feel good about saying we're going to we're going to Extend him. We're gonna we're gonna smooth some of this contract out so that we have a little bit more flexibility in 2020. Now they don't really have that with Sidarius in 2020 because, like I said, base salary is only 2 million. The cap hit is mostly from the roster bonus, workup on him. He has a nine nine and a half million dollar roster bonus that he's going to get um because they they can't move on and they wouldn't move on. But there are always ways that you can make this work. I do think Green Bay is gonna feel like One big move. Right. I mean, does that seem reason? I don't think I don't think, you know, the the scenarios that have been out there. Okay, Austin Hooper, Nick Kwiatkowski and Michael Brockers. I don't I don't think that's realistic for the Packers this offseason, given what we know about the salary cap right now.
0: No, I think you're going to look at a very similar offseason to two seasons ago under Brian Gutekunst, where yeah. you had one one major free agent signing, in Jimmy Graham, a couple smaller middle tier ones in Muhammad Wilkerson and Tremont Williams, and then a couple you know bite sized ones with your Byron Bells uh, and your Devon Houses and Mercedes Lewis. So uh, I think, and I probably wouldn't expect that many. I would expect maybe you know three or four, but one of them being a big one, maybe one to two middle tier ones, and maybe a small tier free agent signing. Uh, I think something like that makes a lot of sense, but I'm with you. I think he's gonna I think he has at least one big shot in that revolver. And and I am curious to ask you if you had that one big shot, if you did, you know, I'll ask you two things. One, who you think that shot will be, and two, who you would like that shot to be.
1: I've been thinking about this a lot. And <laughs> I I have to admit I don't have a great answer. I really don't. Um, I I wrote about you know what signing a linebacker would do for The Packers offseason, because if Ryan Bulag is going to walk and it seems fait accompli that he's going to walk, I mean, he's the the money being out there for offensive linemen is crazy. He might get well over what we thought. I mean, 10 million seemed like a reasonable number. And now what it could be 12, 13 plus a year for him. And and he deserves it. He's a really good player. And I, I hope he gets paid maximally for for what he can do. What a linebacker does for Green Bay going into this draft is allows them not to reach in the first round because I think the the value drop off after that is significant and it allows them to go into the first and the second round in particular, which is where the best players in the draft are and where your best bets are and say, OK, offensive lineman, you need a right tackle of the future and you need a, a second receiver of the future. OK, in a deep class, you can do that if you go into the draft and you need a linebacker and a receiver and an offensive lineman. Now all of a sudden you're in a position where you're really you're really under the gun. So if it were me, whether it's Corey Littleton or or Joe Schobert or Nick Kwiatkowski, I don't have strong takes on that part of it. But a linebacker is the guy that I'm going after. I will say I understand the value of someone like Austin Hooper because it allows you to wait on the receiver class at the same time. I i'm I'm not as concerned about the receiver position as other people are because I think Devonte Adams is awesome. I think Aaron Jones can be a huge part of your passing game, and that's okay. So getting a secondary piece that is is maybe one dimensional or one and a half dimensional is not as big a problem. For me, it would be a linebacker. What about you?
0: Yeah, so if I, I'm going to start with the player, I think, and I, I just think at this point, there's kind of enough tea leaves out there to, to kind of put two and two together where it's, it definitely seems like they're going to be a major player in the Austin Hooper discussion. So yeah. if, uh, you know, gun to my head today, uh, having to pick who I think they will sign, I, I would probably put money on on Hooper. I'm not super confident because these things can change in, in a matter of a moment, but uh, Austin Hooper, Corey Littleton seem to be two that would make a lot of sense that they would go after for me. And, and I'm, I'm kind of you don't love me. Austin Hooper. What's that? You don't love Austin Hooper? No, I do not. I think he's fine. I think he's going to get overpaid. I, I I think he would be. He would have been the best tight end on the roster last year. I think he'd be the best, obviously, tight end on the roster this year. I think he's going to be a good player. I think he would help the Packers. I just don't think you you would get anywhere near the return on investment for what you'd have to pay uh, for him in an open market. And maybe I'm wrong. I've certainly been wrong before. Uh but uh and we'll absolutely be wrong again. But uh for I'm my money, that.
1: I'm clipping that. I'm gonna yeah, use it's gonna it my go. it's gonna be in the it's intro on my, my show. show intro, now right. Right. <laughs> it's
0: gonna be intro on live, say that. It should probably be the intro on my show too. But uh uh anywho, uh, I do think uh, Corey Littleton would have a lot more return on investment than maybe what an Austin Hooper would. But I uh, for what I would do, and I've been on this bandwagon the entire offseason, is I would absolutely attack defensive line. And I know I'm uh, one of the the few that is on that bandwagon, but I just think That it was the the most glaring uh, issue from when I watched a season ago, and uh, I just think if you can stop the run on early downs, and I know certainly an inside linebacker would be a really nice help there too. But I think if you have Kenny Clark and another space eater uh, next to him on the defensive line, I think that solves a lot of problems, and I think you can almost get away with a little bit of a lesser inside linebacker with not having to pay the same price. And I think if you go after somebody like DJ Reader, for example, I think he can not only help. help you with your linebacker problem. I think he can be just a run stopper in general. And I also think he can be used as a little bit of a pass rusher if need be as well, certainly on early downs when you're trying to get to those second and third and long situations. So uh, I think he would solve a lot of problems on defense. I don't think that Mike Pettin and this defense as a whole necessarily, and maybe even the franchise as a whole necessarily values that inside linebacker a ton. At least that's kind of what it seemed like uh, over the course of the last handful of years. Who knows if that's the case or not, but I think that they could get by with a really good defensive line if that secondary can kind of come into their own I think they can manage on defense and I'm with you on offense I think that right tackle position is going to be really important to address because like you said it certainly seems like the writing on the wall uh, is on the wall with Brian Balaga but this is a offense that has invested is you know basically highest paid player in football in Aaron Rodgers Aaron Jones is a pro bowl caliber running back uh, they have a young talented tight end in Jace Sternberger Devonte Adams one of the best receivers in football the best left tackle in football for my money. And David Bakhtiari, uh, you know, a a really good up and coming left guard, Nelton Jenkins, Corey Lindsay. This is a offense with a ton of talent and a head coach, That is specialized in offensive football. They have the pieces there that they can get the job done on offense. I am willing to bet that they can put it together. And I want to see the defense and the defensive line in particular uh, really hold up their end of the bargain so they can get to some of those really fun sub packages for Mike Patton on third and second and long.
1: Yeah, and and I I tweeted this. We we were having this discussion just the other day about you. I thought you had a really good metaphor about the Packers not eating their vegetables on early downs <laughs> with the run game, and you know Pro um, Warren Sharp, the the Sharp Football Stats, um, those are the really awesome statistics. And the Packers success rate on first down and second down, thirty uh, second in the league. I mean the worst run defense on early downs in football. And if you go to Football Outsiders. Their adjusted line yards, 31st, I mean, 4.96 adjusted line yards. Basically, they're getting pushed back basically five yards off the line of scrimmage on the average play. That is defensive line flaws. That is a problem. And, you know, they they looked heavily at defensive linemen in Indianapolis. I think almost certainly they will draft someone early to help remedy that. My my perspective on this is the linebacker position, if they're gonna play one linebacker so frequently, and I'm not even convinced you need to play two to be a good run defense, you have to have a good one. Yeah. And the and the Packers just didn't, especially last year. Blake Martinez was not a good player last year. And so if you can get a good player, if you can get a Corey Littleton, who I think is one of the most underrated players in the league still, I, I actually think Nick Kwiatkowski – is also a very underrated player. And for 8 million versus 13 million for Corey Littleton, I'd much rather have Kwiatkowski, whose name I've been mispronouncing for weeks. Um, but uh, I think the Packers are gonna be in on a linebacker. Match and I been set on Locked On Packers last week that he thought they were, that he was the number one target for the Packers if he had to guess Austin Hooper was. But that it wasn't a sure thing that that Green Bay would be able to pony up enough dough to get there. I think ultimately that's what ends up happening. I I think the Patriots or some other teams end up paying more than Green Bay is willing to pay to get there. And they end up getting a linebacker and, and a defensive lineman and going to the draft that way.
0: Yeah, that certainly could be the case. And it's going to be it's going to be really interesting to see how Brian Gutekunst fits all those puzzle pieces together uh, in this offseason to see where things head in that direction. We've covered a ton here today, Peter. Uh, Any final thoughts on your way out? I know we have a big week of free agency ahead of us uh, and it should be quite the ride. But any final thoughts, anything else you want to discuss today?
1: Not that I want to discuss. I just I I want uh, I I want everyone to be excited about this offseason because I think the Packers are going to are going to make some moves. Uh, This is a really good draft for them. And so there's a there's a lot that we can still talk about that we can still engage with in the NFL. And I'm sure your listeners know that that's why they're here. Um, You know, this is this is important for all of us to to maintain as much normalcy as we can in this time, you're staying home, you're listening to podcasts, you're you're just going to work, you're in your car, whatever it is, um, you know, these communities and, and these conversations are really important ways for us to all feel connected to each other. And there is there's nothing better than than the Packers community. So I appreciate everyone who is a part of it and who contributes to it in a positive way.
0: Very well said. I certainly can't top that. So I think we should probably end with that. Uh, Peter, what are you working on currently? Where can we find your work and where can we find you on Twitter?
1: Um, well, I'm always working on a lot, um, but but uh, Twitter is the best way to find all the stuff that I do at Peter underscore Bukowski. Uh, most of my writing is at SB Nation at com. but I am also your colleague at Packer Report. Um, we we actually worked on some some COVID nineteen related content together last week, which was great to do. Um, and then obviously locked on Packers. Um, we are not 365 days a year, um, but we are five days a week. And um, you know, I 600 shows. I don't we we passed 600 shows a while ago it's not a competition that's okay oh.
0: um
1: but no no there this, this is it's great that that we have all these opportunities to to come together and have these conversations so locked on packers wherever you find podcasts um you know i i think there's room for all of us and and that's why i love you know being a part of of these shows as well and i always appreciate you coming on locked on packers as well
0: Likewise, I appreciate it as well. And I appreciate the fact that, uh, you know, I think in a lot of different circumstances and a lot of different walks of life. Uh, you know, you would see, you know, locked on Packers and I would, or you would see Packaday as a, you know, uh, enemy, you know, and I would see locked on as And it's just not that way at all. And like you said, there's space for all of it. And uh, certainly always appreciate you coming on and sharing your knowledge. And uh, hopefully some people will get introduced to locked on from this. Hopefully some people will get, you know, introduced to, to Packaday from you being on and, and so on and so forth. So always appreciate it. Always great conversation. That does it for us today. Thank you to all of our listeners. Make sure you read Peter and I on packerreport.com. Listen to Peter. Out on Lockdown Packers podcast. Of course, subscribe to the Pack Day podcast wherever you can find favorite podcasts as well. Rakowski, I'm Andy Herman. Until next time, and as always, go pack go.